Hey everybody, welcome back to the Bold Sidebar. It's Jeff Horn and we're talking about rulings and issues pertaining to the New Jersey Supreme Court. Today is January 15, 2021. The court heated up with two full opinions from Justice uh, Solomon and Justice Patterson. We'll get to those in just a moment. Of interest, uh, the court entered an order taking a direct appeal for a case, State v. Omar Vega Laragui. Apologize if I got the last name wrong. The defendant, Mr. Vega Laragui, is represented by Jack Furlong, long-term New Jersey criminal defense practitioner. The case has interest from all sides. The um, Association of Criminal Defense Lawyers of New Jersey are uh, involved as Amici, as is the uh, County Prosecutors Association. Indeed, both teams normally on opposite sides of any issues of jurisprudence, the Defense Bar, the Prosecutors Association, kind of agree. The Defense Bar passionately suggests that virtual grand juries, the issue at hand, uh, are, are full of constitutional deficiencies in the absence of consent from the accused, undermine the integrity of the criminal justice system in New Jersey. I am reading from a quote in an article this week in the New Jersey Law Journal written by Charles Touton. Thank you to Charles for staying on top of this. Meanwhile, the Prosecutors Association has, has the concern that uh, remote grand juries have the potential to undermine constitutionally mandated confidentiality of grand jury proceedings. So a lot going on here. We need grand juries to proceed. People's lives are on hold and uh, liberty is at stake for victims and defendants. So a very interesting issue, um, a COVID-driven uh, forced issue onto the judiciary, defense, and prosecution side. On to the two cases. Justice Patterson's, case, Justice Patterson's case is Elmer Branch v. Cremoland Dairies, and it is a wage and hour issue, essentially truck drivers have different overtime rules. The Cremoland Dairy has won a bunch of administrative cases and therefore relied upon those lower level wins to support their continuing practices. <clears throat> Mr. Branch and others brought a claim saying that they, uh, Cremoland is violating the wage and hour rules and uh, the the dairy, the defendant said, hold on a second. We've won in front of the Department of Labor a number of times on this issue. Hence, we have a, a bit of padding in terms of good faith defense recognized in our case law. The Supreme Court said, no, those type of rulings that don't have opinions and, and haven't been appealed and haven't been perhaps litigated all the way up the chain do not create a foundation for the good faith defense 
were Creamoland Dairy and their defense of their wage and hour procedures. Uh, given uh, new meaning to the sort of you can't win for losing uh, axiom. The court uh, did say something interesting about all of this, and that is, quote, we respectfully suggest that the department develop a procedure whereby an employer can seek an opinion letter or other ruling from the commissioner or director regarding a claimed exemption from the overtime requirements. So that sort of makes a lot of sense, but it's always interesting when the court bleeds over as a recommender. It often recommends and asks for action in the legislative branch. Here, it's suggesting that the executive branch adopt a procedure that makes it very clear and will, uh, in the case that there are lower level rulings, create a writing upon which the defense can rely, the moving party or the claimant can appeal, and it creates a very clear record. My two cents on this is all rulings ought to be aggregated and uh, created uh, in, in a format where they can be uh, a bunch of data points. And uh, as the law evolves, we, we see the trend by um, use of big data, the use of artificial intelligence to see that the trends that we want to see in the law, that a particular judges or particular commissioners' rulings are consistent with the law, or if the law, as set by statute and case law, differs in its application at the agency level. Again, that's just my two cents. I dream big when it comes to aggregating a lot of small pieces of data in the law. And Justice Solomon's case, State v. Donnell Gideon. And I can't say the word Gideon without thinking back to history class and law school. Gideon v. Wainwright, Mr. Gideon, the humble pro se litigant that won in the Supreme Court. I've attached his handwritten petition here in the show notes. You can click on that. There's a link and uh, enjoy uh, that uh, piece of jurisprudence, piece of history, whereby Mr. Gideon cemented the rights, going back to 1963 now, cemented the rights of defendants facing serious jeopardy to have a court-appointed public defender, essentially. Uh, prior to that, the right had been limited in the states, and uh, now we think nothing of it. If you don't have means, you qualify for the public defender, and you, at least in New Jersey, would expect to have highly competent representation. The public defender system is robust, and the practitioners are highly skilled and uh, trained in uh, criminal defense for serious offenses. So thanks to Mr. Gideon for establishing uh, the, the rule of law, along, of, along uh, of course, with uh, 
with the Warren court. So back to Donnell Gideon, who is not going to fare as well as Mr. Gideon and Gideon v. Wainwright. He's convicted of murder, uh, shooting in Camden, going back to 2004. And uh, the essence of this case is denial of his post-conviction relief. He was successful in PCR. He the case goes to the appellate division, back to PCR, back to the appellate division, and finally to the Supreme Court now, pushing 17 years after this shooting incident that uh, ended up in his conviction. The thrust of his PCR claim now is that his attorney in the trial failed to call alibi witnesses. Uh, I'll spare you. The details, but in essence, our Supreme Court said, well, maybe, however, the PCR testimony of the alibi witnesses was inconsistent with Mr. Gideon. This is Donnell Gideon, Donnell Gideon's statement to the police and inconsistent with his statement at trial. In essence, trial counsel made the wise decision to withhold any alleged alibi witnesses who would be offering completely contradictory testimony to Mr. Gideon's statement to the police and his trial testimony, offering the jury yet a third narrative about his whereabouts on the night of the murders that ended up in his conviction. So I thought it was quite a common sense um, decision and a very good analysis of the Strickland v. Washington standard for ineffective assistance of counsel worth a quick read and a quick review. All right, that's it. This is exciting. We've got some current opinions and we've got some hot COVID stuff happening in the New Jersey Supreme Court. I hope you like this. If you do, please let me know. Shoot me an email. Easy to find. Go on to the Apple iTunes platform. Give us a good rating. And uh, anyone who's got an interesting case that's going to the Supreme Court, that's recently been to the New Jersey Supreme Court, that bears on the hot issues, please let me know. I'd love to get you in the office when we're comfortable to do so or on a remote podcast. So this is Jeff Horn signing off for the Bold Sidebar. Thanks very much. And uh, we'll see you next time that we have a couple more opinions.